Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. And I am Dr. Luara Ferracioli, lecturer in political philosophy at the University of Sydney. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. so much for tuning into Radical Philosophy. I'm your host Beth Matthews. Today on the program I'm going to be speaking with Professor Fiona Woolard about breastfeeding. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Now could you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Well my background is in a very classic philosophical field so uh, normative ethics looking at deontological distinctions. Specifically, I was interested in whether there's a moral difference between doing harm and merely allowing harm. So I worked on that for about nine or ten years. And then I started looking for a new philosophical project. And that was about the time when I was starting to have children myself. And since then, I've been working in uh, the philosophy of pregnancy, birth and early motherhood. So basically what happened was I was thinking about pregnancy, birth and early motherhood quite a lot because I was about to have children. I started thinking that pregnancy, birth and early motherhood can be really fruitful philosophically. So it can challenge a lot of the things that we kind of take for granted in many different areas of of philosophy. So sort of ethically, epistemologically, and I have a colleague who, Elson Kingma, who works on the metaphysics of pregnancy. So pregnancy can be really helpful for philosophy, but I also started to think that philosophy might be helpful for mothers and pregnant women. So, for example, I've been working with uh, the NCT and the Breastfeeding Network, who are charities that support people in uh, antenatally and in infant feeding, and we produced a website uh, looking at um, how, why it's so difficult to talk about breastfeeding, how using some of my research to explore how philosophical mistakes might leave make it difficult to have good conversations about how you feed your babies and really trying to have better conversations. So a little plug for my my website, which is www.feelingsaboutfeedingbabies.co.uk, if anybody's interested in looking at that. Yeah, look, that leads me into my next question. So why do you think it is so difficult for people to speak about breastfeeding? So I think that actually many different areas of motherhood can be kind of really tricky to talk about so there are there are lots of 
issues surrounding how we think about motherhood and how we talk about motherhood, which causes problems in conversations. But there are also these kind of pressure points, these areas which are particularly uh, difficult. Some, some are sleep training's one, how birth decisions are another, and also uh, staying at home versus going to work. But uh, a very key one is breastfeeding. And I think that part of the problem that's there is that we hold mothers to really unrealistic standards. So I think we treat mothers as if they have what I call a maximal feasible duty to benefit their child, which basically means that they need to do everything that they can that might be good for their children. And if they don't do something, then other people can demand justification. And that means that people end up feeling like if breastfeeding really does have benefits for their children, then they have to justify themselves if they don't breastfeed. And at the same time, we also treat women as if they need to justify themselves if they do breastfeed. And that's because of assumptions that breastfeeding is odd or sexual or immodest. And often the things that we say to try to justify our own way of doing things can feel like we're attacking other people who do things differently. In fact, we might end up feeling that in order to show that what we're doing is okay, we, we have to show that we have to do it that way and so that anybody who does anything different is doing it wrong. So we end up with a lot of people feeling really judged and attacked. I do think that there is a general lack of support in regards to infant feeding. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, what I think we have... In the UK, and I think my understanding is it's the same in Australia as well, is basically we tell women that they have to breastfeed. We give them lots of nice posters saying, breastfeed, breastfeed, breastfeed. And then we let them down when it comes to helping them to actually be able to breastfeed. And one thing that's actually very interesting is that it's not just getting enough support it's getting support at the right time. So you'll speak to some women and they'll say, no, I, I had loads and loads of support. Everybody was lovely to me. That, that wasn't the problem. And then if you talk to them a little bit more, you'll discover that they weren't given support soon enough after birth, which led to problems with latching, which led to problems with milk supply, which led to all these other problems. So it's not just that people need more support, but they also need support at the right time, because otherwise you end up with problems which are difficult to fix, even with more support. Is there shame associated with breastfeeding, especially in public areas? Oh, absolutely, yes. If you look at the social science, there's quite a lot of evidence that embarrassment about breastfeeding in public is often the reason that people give, that they either aren't going to breastfeed as long as they wanted to, or that they've decided they're not actually able to breastfeed. So it has a really, really big impact. I mean, it's sometimes it's not so much that people have had negative reactions, it's just that they're just really worried that they'll have, you know, that, that people will react badly to it. They feel like they're not good enough at breastfeeding to be able to breastfeed in public. 
I actually I, I have a paper on on breastfeeding in public in which I look at the instinct that lots of people have. So lots of people have when people sort of say, oh, you shouldn't have breastfeeding in public, is to say things like, oh, but it's actually really discreet. You can hardly, you, normally you can't tell that the baby's even feeding. And that's quite a natural kind of response to want to have, but I think it's a bit worrying because it, it sort of implicitly assumes or implicitly agrees that breastfeeding is only okay if it's if it's discreet and I think we really need to challenge that assumption and recognize that there's actually an unconditional right to breastfeed even if you're not being discreet to talk uh yeah but, uh, I mean the reason I think that's so important is because otherwise you get people feeling that they're not able to breastfeed in public if they can't do, do so discreetly. And I don't think that the right to breastfeed should sort of depend on you being good enough at breastfeeding to do it discreetly. And in fact, often the ways that people try and breastfeed discreetly end up harming them. So for example, they twist themselves into kind of knots and end up squashing their breast tissue and, and giving them you know higher risk for mastitis and that sort of thing. So I think it's really important that we kind of support this. It's not just if you're discreet, you can breastfeed. You, can, you should be able to breastfeed in public, even if you can't do be discreet at all. What are the philosophical mistakes surrounding the way we talk and think about infant feeding decisions? Well, some of these I've already mentioned, so this mistaken assumption that we need to justify our infant feeding decisions, whether it's the decision to breastfeed or the decision not to breastfeed. I think that mistaken assumption that we need to justify decisions not to breastfeed is really linked very strongly to an overinflated understanding of maternal duties. And I think the mistaken assumption that we need to justify decisions to breastfeed is linked to other kind of mistaken ideas, i.e. that women's breasts are always sexual and that um, it's up to women to kind of change their behavior in order to manage other people's kind of comfort rather than it being up to the people who don't like seeing a breastfeeding mother to kind of look away. I also think there's a sort of general issue with making being a good mother extremely kind of important to women's identity. So there's a sort of equation with being a good person, if you're a woman, with being a good mother. And then being a good mother is really equated very much with certain biological functions like being able to breastfeed successfully, being able to give birth in the right way. And I think that's a real difficulty, a real, a real problem for um, how we think about motherhood, that, that we... It's, so that's why these mistakes end up being so devastating because when you think that you, you have a duty to to breastfeed if it's if if it's beneficial to your child and you're not able to breastfeed it's not just kind of guilt that you feel for failing to do something you ought to it's often shame that people 
say that they feel, and that's because they feel that in not breastfeeding, they're, they're not, they, they're therefore not a good mother, and not being a good mother is just absolutely central to feeling like a good person. So I think this sort of, this connection between good mother and good person and good mother and biological functioning person is really kind of at the at the heart of a lot of these problems. Do you think that it's possible to celebrate breastfeeding without shaming others that use formula? I really think it should be. So I think what we should be able to do is to recognise that breastfeeding can be worth doing without that meaning that everyone should do it. And we should recognise that we can praise and admire people for their achievements or just be happy for them for what they've done, um, especially if this is involved overcoming difficulties. And that that doesn't mean we're blaming anybody who hasn't done it or looking down on others. Unfortunately, I think we just we have this real problem with recognizing the embodied achievements of women in this kind of area. So there's either this sort of tendency to kind of just say, you know, to, to downplay what breastfeeding involves and to not see it as an achievement, or to say, you know, or to overinflate the importance of these things that we do with our bodies and kind of moralize them and say, if you're not doing that, then you're not a good mother. And I think we need something that's different from both of those. We need to both be able to say, you know, look, that took a lot of work. You overcome a lot of difficulties. You're, you did something amazing. In some ways, you're lucky, you know, some people wouldn't have been able to do it. Some people wouldn't physically have been able to do it, and some people wouldn't have had the other conditions needed to do it. But the fact that, that there was luck involved shouldn't take away from the sense of achievement because it was hard work and it was a fantastic thing that you did. And I think we need to be able to do that without without implying that, that people who didn't do that should feel bad about themselves. So it should be like sporting achievements. You know, when, when I see the amazing things that some of my friends get up to, I recognize that in some ways they're very lucky to be able to do the things that they are doing, but that doesn't take away from my admiration of their achievements and I think they they're able to celebrate their you know Ironman competitions or uh, or marathons without people thinking well look you're just trying to shame anybody who's not decided to do that so I, I really would like it if we had a better a better sort of way of thinking about embodied achievements of women when it comes to these sort of maternal achievements what are the effects of different ways of feeding babies? Well, that's quite a complicated question because the research, I do find it quite difficult to interpret. One thing that's often difficult is that it's it's often put in kind of population terms or in terms of kind of relative risk, which 
aren't the easiest sort of ways for individual women to kind of think about or that they're not the most relevant for individual women. So I don't really want to know what the effects would be at a population level if more people breastfed, if I'm trying to decide whether or not to breastfeed. I want to know what effect it's going to have on my child. And I don't want need to know if, you know, what the difference is going to be. Is it going to double or triple some very small risk? I want to know what the absolute risk is. So I do think it's quite difficult to navigate the research on the different ways of feeding babies. But I suppose that's because I see myself as a philosopher. I see myself as as a philosopher uh, rather than a kind of empirical scientist. So one thing that I want to do is to try and show that with with any kind of reasonable interpretation of the effects, it's probably true that there's a reason to breastfeed and breastfeeding is a good thing to do, but that you don't have a duty to breastfeed and you don't have to justify it or feel guilty if you don't want to breastfeed. Throughout history, it's it's been a fairly common practice for babies to be given to wet nurses to be fed. However, this practice seems uncommon these days. What do you think the reason for this is? Well, I think it's probably very strongly linked to the influence of formula advertising in the kind of recent past, which basically... so. Many people think that it really kind of undermined people's confidence in breast milk and formula was basically seen as as the default. And there were kind of many, you know, there was sort of this doubt raised about why would you give uh, breast milk? And particularly, I think that advertising made people see formula as kind of the the natural second choice if you're not able to breastfeed or you don't want to breastfeed. But it is quite interesting that there is sort of underground quite a strong kind of subculture of milk sharing and uh, and shared breastfeeding, which so so people are still doing it. It's just it's not very mainstream. Now, there's lots of different types of milk available in supermarkets. There's cow's milk, goat's milk, soy milk, and so on. But human milk has never been available to purchase. In fact, there's been requests from hospitals for donations of human milk for premature babies. But this is something that's expected to be given without any monetary compensation. Do you think that if there was a dollar value placed on human milk, it would raise the status of women? I think that's a very, very complicated question. I do think that it would be very interesting to see, you know, a, a monetary recognition of the value of breast milk. And so it's kind of a very appealing idea The problem is that there have been cases of, for example, formula companies buying milk 
from people, from, from women. And what happened was they were paying women from very poor backgrounds. And basically this got a lot of criticism because what was really being encouraged was for the mothers to 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 give their babies formula their own baby's formula, and then uh, sell their milk to the formula companies who were using it for research. And that's very worrying. You know, if you're... The, the worry whenever you make something a commodity is that you are going to end up exploiting people and that people are going to be encouraged to make decisions which are um, bad for their own children. So there's a real kind of a dilemma there. I mean, ideally, of course, nobody would be in a situation where they were vulnerable to exploitation. So it would just be the case that people would, you know, feed their own babies breast milk if that was what they wanted to do and then use the excess for uh, donation or sale. But there are these concerns about un- unintended consequences given that we do live in an unjust world where some people are are vulnerable to exploitation. Yeah, I suppose it, it would be more beneficial to the baby, wouldn't it, to be fed breast milk rather than, than formula? And uh, do you think as a society we've sort of been a bit brainwashed into thinking that formula is best because of the advertising companies? I think there's a sort of, there definitely was a time when that happened and there are still kind of pockets where that's true. But I think that what's, that the strategy that most formula companies are kind of using now is to pay lip service to the idea that breast milk is better. So uh, you'll notice that formula com- formulas Packaging often says something like, you know, human milk is the best milk for babies. But once it's time to stop, once you're ready to move on. And so there's this more sort of subtle message, I think, which is that you should breastfeed for a little bit, but then it's a bit weird to keep going and there'll be a point where you need to stop and start on formula. So it's quite interesting how we see the sort of interaction of attempts to kind of curb formula advertising and the way that there is sort of reaction to that in the way that formula advertises. But definitely the sort of what I think the most common message from formula now is uh, breast milk is, is super, but only for a little bit. Yeah, there's been a bit of controversy, especially in Australia, recently about well there was one woman in particular who was still feeding her six-year-old son and she'd mm. go down to school at lunchtime to sort of feed him breast milk and uh, it caused a lot of outrage amongst people yeah so i i mean i think that that um you should breastfeed for as long as both the mother and the baby want to, uh, which is actually what the World Health Organization recommends. So they say at least two years. They say two years or as long as mother and baby both want to keep going. And I think that that that's right. I mean, I, I think there's 
there's really no reason to to be outraged at the idea of a six-year-old having milk. Most of the arguments that people give against extended breastfeeding seem to involve some sort of mistake. So they say things like, oh, it, you can get all the benefits that you can get for breast, from breastfeeding from other things. And that's, that might be true. Lots of people think that that's not really true. But I, I actually don't think that it depends on there being any health benefits. I mean, because nobody would say, oh, well, you can get all the benefits from tickling your children that you can get by in other ways. So you can't tickle your children once they reach a certain age <laughs> or you can't hug your children once they reach a certain age. So I think a lot of the kind of objections sort of depend upon this idea that, yeah, breastfeeding is this thing that's only acceptable if you really need to do it. And that that's bad for people who want to breastfeed because they end up having to kind of justify their breastfeeding. But it's actually also bad for mothers who want to use formula because people who want to breastfeed end up having to sort of show that breastfeeding is this really amazing thing and that you actually have to do it, which ends up making those who can't breastfeed or don't want to breastfeed feeling like they're that they need to defend themselves against being, you know, being bad mothers. So that's exactly the kind of thing I was talking about where we end up, everybody ends up having to justify their choices and doing, ends up doing so in a way that sort of suggests that anybody who's doing anything different is doing something wrong. And if we could just accept that, you know, breastfeeding is a lovely intimate activity which is very natural thing to do and doesn't need any kind of justification then I think that would make things a lot easier for for everybody I guess it's also worth pointing out that the age at which it's natural to wean varies a lot and that you know the age in which our kind of human ancestors weaned was probably a lot later than we currently think is the right time to wean. So it's all very kind of, our understandings of what's normal is all really very kind of culturally influenced. But our our closest kind of animal ancestors tend to breastfeed until you get the adult teeth. My husband always used to say there's a reason they call it the milk teeth. So while (laughs) you've still got your milk teeth, it's completely natural to be (laughs) drinking human milk. And natural and safe as well. (laughs) Would you like to give your website over again? Oh, yes, definitely. So it is feeling good about how we feed our babies. And the web address is www.feelingsaboutfeedingbabies.co.uk. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Oh, thank you very much, Beth. It's been lovely talking to you. And I've been speaking with Professor Fiona Woolard about breastfeeding. Well, that's all we have time for today. Hope you've enjoyed the program and stay tuned for the fabulous Swing and Sway.